Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I invite you to open up your Bibles with us to Psalm 73. Again, as we make our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book, we find ourselves in the Psalms. And this morning, we are starting the third book of the uh, book of Psalms, book three. It starts with Psalm 73. It goes through Psalm 89. Psalm 73 comes out of not David, but the time of David. It says a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was kind of a worship leader at the time of David. Let's read the whole thing. It says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know and is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, or look, see, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, look, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. So Mr. Asaph here, really his main point is given just in verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. Obviously Asaph is going through some sort of personal reflection, crisis in faith. We don't really have it tied to any specific circumstances, and that's probably for our benefit. It's really kind of a common thing, a possible common thing, to be just distracted and lost in the fog of deception in this world. Asaph, Asaph's a very spiritual guy. I mean, David would not put unspiritual men in charge of worship. This is a very spiritual guy. And he goes through a very powerful trial of just getting lost in kind of that fog there. And so we want to pay attention to it. It's written for our admonition. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure and hot. Really, again, that's his main point. God is always good. It says God is good to Israel, 
you know, in context, he is talking about his own people, the Jewish people, you know, and you could go and say, well, you know, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not Israel. Well, you know, New Testament were grafted into the promises that Israel has received, you know, and if, if you want to really take that term Israel, the name Israel, the Israel does apply directly to the Jewish people, but it really means governed by God and to such as are pure in heart. And you think, oh, well, you know, that's not me. I'm not pure in heart. So he's, you know, the Lord's not good to me. No, it's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that the Lord is good to you. And it doesn't say those who are perfect in heart, because that would be none of us. Nobody's perfect in heart. The idea is pure in heart or clean in heart or sincere in heart, really. And it's sincere in heart before the Lord. Lots of people have sincere hearts, but not before the Lord. They, they have all kinds of crazy ideas about spirituality, but they're not submitted to the Lord. The idea is before the Lord, we have set our hearts and been honest about our hearts before the Lord. That the Lord sees as a pure heart, right? It says it this way about a clean heart and being cleansed in 1 John. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, nobody comes and attains a perfect heart in this life. So let's not lose sight of what he's saying here because we don't measure up to perfect heart. That is the ideal, right? We all want a perfect heart. We all want to have a heart that flows only with righteousness and high thoughts towards God and, and righteousness. But like the scriptures in First John tell us, we keep our hearts open before the Lord. He'll keep it clean for us. And then we can be assured that God is good to us. And that's something to hold on to all the time. Because that can get lost in today's world. In the time of Asaph, it can get lost. How much more so in our time? You know, thousands of years later, as sin and has time to uh, uh, develop and go even farther. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as is pure in heart. And he tells us about how he ended up getting distracted, getting confused and lost in that fog of deception from the world. He says, but as for me, my step, my, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Obviously, he's not talking about, about literal steps. That might be true this morning with the snow and stuff on the sidewalk, but he's obviously talking about his walk with the Lord and the way he was understanding life. Our steps, uh, you know, he's saying our steps, I had almost slipped my steps had nearly slipped, feet had almost stumbled. Again, that fits under the category of the term, our walk with the Lord. You know, our, our life has a direction, our whole manner of life. He's saying, I was, oh man, I was getting so distracted by these things. And this is the reason why, verse 3. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he sees the prosperity of the wicked, and it brings about in his heart envy. Envy for what? Well, verse 4, 5, 6, tell us, For there's no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, 
nor are they plagued like other men. You know, it's, it can be very difficult to walk with the Lord. It is very difficult to walk with, this, in, in, with the Lord in this world. You know, the Lord doesn't make us promises of comfort and convenience down here. And frequently, when we come to the Lord and we give him our lives, we turn everything over to him. Ideally, we should. And then what comes into our lives and what we have, we can see as coming from the Lord. And, you know, there's not many who have just wall-to-wall comfort and convenience and wealth. It's easy to see in this, in this, kind, of, this kind of mixed-up life right now that, boy, the, the, the wicked seem to have it easy. Um, they, like it says here, there are no pangs in their death. You know, they, they have comfort. They could have convenience, nice things, nice, um, nice kind of paved, paved road of, of health and wealth and prosperity. Their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. They are not plagued like other men. Literally, it says they're not touched by other men. Um, you know, they're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men, not touched. Um, the idea there is that you know, there's hardship to go around enough for everybody, but they seem to be insulated from it. And they seem to be insulated from it. The implication is they're because they're ethically compromised. They're willing to cheat and lie. And by that, they avoid a lot of difficulty that those who are being honest, those who are being straightforward, being honest on their taxes, honest in their business dealings, they end up getting all these, you know, they get the hard road and, it's easy to look at those at that kind of that kind of lifestyle and go, why, Lord, why am I doing this? This is so hard. It'd be so easy to just fill this out a little differently and avoid all that. And therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Uh, pride serves as their necklace. Um, you know, they are confident and willing to tell you about it. They don't mind telling you how they are cheating, how they are lying, how they are unethical. It's a badge for them. It's, hey, look at me. I've been able to get away with this. And then they get congratulated for it by others who are doing the same thing. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. We're actually going to see the heart talked about quite a bit. This is the second time we run into the word heart here. We're going to see it six times. It's a bit of a heart attack, if you might put it that way. Um, They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. And not only are they not caring about the impact of their actions on others, they don't care how it affects anybody else, but when they see that happen to people, it doesn't bother them. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. They're big talkers. You ever met anybody like this? You know, uh, you don't have to go very far in life before you run into some like this. It's very easy to um, envy them, especially, again, the, the whole context here is that they have that stuff, and we don't. They have the provision of 
the finest health care, the great, you know, big fat retirement accounts waiting for them. Uh, they have um, all the resources now. That wouldn't be bad if I had it too. I would go, okay, you got it, I got it, that's fine. But when they got it and I don't, and I know that my life is firmly in the hands of the Lord, that can become a cause of stumbling as we go, Lord, I don't get it. Why do they have everything and I don't? It's not that I'm looking for abundance. I'm just, I'm looking for, how about a little relief? It can, it can be that way. It can feel that way. It can lead us along that line. That you know, And Satan knows these things. Satan has been watching people go through the faithful who are trying to follow the Lord and keep their hearts open before the Lord. He's been watching people go through this kind of trial for a very long time. That kind of temptation is not unique to you. It's been, it's been going on for a long time. Here's Asaph 3,000 years ago going through it. We're going to go through it. We have a chance of going through it. Um, Satan always going to going to Satan is good at knowing when we're vulnerable, and he likes to take those opportunities to uh, stick it to us at a different level. Not only do you not have it, but there's a reason why you don't have it, Mister Follower of Jesus, and uh, you don't have it. And it's not fair. How come they have it? Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Okay, see, they do talk about God in some ways. But they talk about God from the standpoint of uh, not having to give an account to him. It doesn't matter. I can do this, and it doesn't matter. Uh, God doesn't really know. He doesn't really care. Um, if he does care, you know, you know the old thought, the the, the um, proposition by those who are, you know, militant kind of uh, atheists and things. How come God doesn't get me? You know, if God's real, why doesn't he get me? That's the idea loaded into here. How does God know and there's no knowledge? He doesn't do anything is what's happening. God's not. God's not doing anything to them. And so it's rendered in their mind, hey, it's okay with them. Mm, wow, you, you know that that's a mistake, right? It's, we've encountered this elsewhere in the Psalms already. Psalm 10, if you go back, we encountered the ungodly saying something like this. They said, uh, talking about um, the ungodly, he said, um, he has said in his heart, God has forgotten, he hides his face, he will never see. In Psalm 50, he said something very, very similar to this. He said about the ungodly, he said, um, you sit and speak against your brother, you slander your own mother's son. He talks about all the wicked things that they're doing. Verse 21, he says, these things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you. Yeah, it's... Um, it's an easy mistake to make to think that because God does nothing, he doesn't care. He does care. So what's going on? Why doesn't God do something? Well, we'll deal with that. But let's deal with 
our own hearts first as we walk through this kind of difficulty. Um, The waters of a full cup are drained by them. His people return. They just slug it down. There's opulence, and they don't care. You know, waters of a full cup. Water was the issue back then, and, you know, they don't care. They've got it all. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. And here's... Here's the implication, right? It's not only that that stuff is there, but that it means something. And we know that. As followers of Christ, it's very easy to, because we have that spiritual understanding that the Lord is working, the Lord is here, the Lord is doing things. And when we see these kinds of inequitous, you know, inequitable things, they have it all, we have nothing kind of, kind of thing. We can think that way. We know that that means something. So does Satan know also, and he wants to have us interpret it in the wrong ways. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. I am wasting my time. Hey, follower of Jesus, you're wasting your time. Why do you hold yourself to such a standard? Nobody else does, and nothing happens to them. You're wasting your time. And washed my hands in innocence, for all day long, I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Notice, notice, he is very diligent in setting his heart before the Lord every morning. It seems like I chastened, uh, chastened every morning is the idea that he got up in the morning and sought the Lord to become somebody spiritually minded, get out of the flesh, get into the spirit every morning. And he gets there and he says, after looking at all this, after a while, it says, with Satan's help, you know, that kind of thought process being helped along by Satan, again, why you're wasting your time. This is a, look around you. Nobody else is doing this. Your neighbors think you're weird. Your, your, your family thinks you're crazy. Why are you doing this? But then he, he tells us, if I had said this, if I had spoken this way, verse 15, look, I would have been untrue to the generation of his children. That would have been unfair. Not only unfair, um, if we start talking that way, we influence others is the idea. Um, I would have been untrue to them. If I start talking that way, other people are going to be affected by what I am being deceived by. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. That was the, that, that's where he found himself in almost slipping, in almost stumbling back in verse 2. I didn't know how to understand this. Um, you know, his sight in this condition he's in is completely stuck on earth. Completely stuck on earth. Um, and again, the enemy is very good at knowing when we are vulnerable out of need. It can be very difficult um, in times of health crises, financial crises, to see these things go on. And we know the Lord sees it. We know the Lord has resources to help. He can heal, and these things just go on. Very easy to get deceived by that stuff and to think, this is a waste of time. What am I doing? It was too painful for me, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God. 
Then I understood their end. Of course, the sanctuary of God in his context would be going to the temple, right? Going to the temple. Um, For us, if we want to render it, going to church. You know, the temple and the church aren't exactly the same. I'm not saying that. But the idea is I needed help. I needed help understanding. My mind was totally fogged out with this deception And when I went to worship the Lord, suddenly the winds of the Spirit helped me blow away all that I couldn't see. What what did he see? I understood their end. Hmm, There's a viewpoint that he got stuck in. It's right here. But there's something beyond that. Look out beyond that is what he's saying. Let's go to the end point and see what happens. Verse 18, surely you set them in slippery places, but it was his feet that almost slipped. Right back in verse 2, it's not me that's slippery, it's them. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Um, When he went to worship, when he went to church, Put it that way, suddenly the spiritual realities dawned upon him and he saw clearly. He began to see in the light of eternity. You set them in slippery places. Um, He's saying, obviously, there is an end to these things. And where they end up is not where I want to be. I don't want to be in that place of coming to the end of my life and not knowing where I'm going. That's terrifying. Look, okay, here's a perspective to draw out of this psalm. Yes, we can come to church and in worship, it's a very powerful thing to set our, our hearts and minds and orient them till, towards the Lord. But you know what, you know what else needs to ride out of that when we, when we can, can clear up the issues and know that we're living for the Lord? We need to walk out of that with the concern for the lost. That's what's going on here. Before he was envious of them, now he's going, oh my gosh, do you see where they are going to end up? They're going, they're utterly consumed with terrors. You know, the, the scriptures are clear that there is an eternal state to be concerned about. Um, and when we live in light of eternity, how can we not be concerned with the, with the plight of the lost? Uh, they are headed to something that's truly terrifying. Uh, you know, for all the things we know about heaven, how wonderful it is, in thy presence is fullness of joy. We look forward to that as, as believers. But flip that around. What does that mean for the lost? The opposite of that. Total absence of hope. Eternal destruction. Living in the light of eternity. Um, yeah, we can get very, very distracted when we, when we just look horizontally and get tied up with things now. But when we get that straightened out, when we get to church, when we get into worship, we get that eternal perspective and we're grateful to the Lord for the salvation we have. One of the things that needs to arise in our heart 
very appropriate is concern for the lost. We need to be very concerned for where they are going. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Verse 21, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed. Um, I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. Okay, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. Okay, remember who's talking about this. This is Asaph. He is not a lightweight by any means. He's got other psalms here written. This is a very spiritual man. And he got deceived by this. Look, we're we're all capable of being deceived by that kind of viewpoint. And I want to set this before you, parents, for the standpoint of noticing that not only can that happen to very spiritual people who are rooted and grounded and spiritual, this kind of um, illusions of of this world can not only fog out our hearts and minds, but parents, we need to be very, very careful about how and what is being set before our kids' eyes in the same way. Look, if, if we need help getting through that kind of understanding, wow, we need to be very, very careful about what's being set before our kids. Um, if we have trouble getting through it, the little ones who are maybe just grasping the Lord and seeing the world with new eyes, how powerful will it be to them? Um, you know, uh, and this is Asaph. He didn't have YouTube and MTV and all that stuff. He didn't have the saturated media culture that we have. Look, we, we can't just think that because our kids come to church on Wednesdays and Sundays, they're okay Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and just check out. We can't. Uh, we have to be managing what is coming into their hearts and minds. This scripture, this psalm, lays upon us a huge imperative to be very, very careful in what our kids are seeing. Um, and, and look, I'm not saying you have to isolate your kids from, from everything. I think there are things they need to be isolated from and they're very inappropriate for kids to see. You know, the movies, the violent video games, stuff like that. Um, You know, being very careful on how they, they, you know, take their first steps on the internet. Internet's not a safe place. (laughs) Um, But also the reality is our our media, our, our culture is saturated with it. And... We, it's inevitable that they're going to encounter something that's going to alarm them. They're not going to know how to understand. And that ought to be a cause um, for us to talk with them. That's the way I think we ought to handle it, is not to isolate them completely and, and have them, you know, there's a time and place to isolate them, but eventually they're going to meet it, meet up with it. And when it does, it's, it's the opportunity to talk about it. Say things like, well... You know, we just saw this. This came across a commercial, even during, you know, a baseball game or something that's completely innocent. You know, there's, there's this image. Okay, what does that mean? Who are they? You know, they're advertising for this show, this other thing, and it looks like the people are really having fun, and it looks like they're doing all kinds of evil things, and they, they look like they're okay, and mom, dad, I don't get what's going on there. It's an opportunity to talk about it. Look, what you see on TV doesn't represent the full picture. They look like they're having fun now, but what does the Bible say? 
draw them into what the scripture says. There's pleasure in sin for a season. Is the is the is the what they're encountering in the media telling the full picture? Or it, does this imply that there's no consequences? Where are these people going to be in five, ten years? Okay, parents, uh, I, I just want that to be laid before you. I think, I think that's an, uh, a strong exhortation that comes out of seeing this psalm. If it affects somebody as spiritual as Asaph, it can affect us. It's really going to affect our kids. and We need to be careful and manage that um, with the help of the Holy Spirit. My, thus my heart was grieved. I was vexed in my mind. This is what he says. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. There's uh, four things he says here next that are there that he had lost sight of. Nevertheless, in other words, here's the truths that I lost sight of. Number one, I'm continually with you. Number two, you hold me by my right hand. Third, you will guide me with your counsel. And four, afterward, receive me to glory. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. Uh, he, he now understood the guarantee of God's presence. How important that is to know that we are with God. God is with us continuously. Um, scriptures say that, don't they? Um, it's easy to get have that run over by an earthly vision. God is with me. God is with you um, all the time. Jesus said it plainly. Uh, he promised his disciples on that last night, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I will send another comforter, the Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth. Then before he was received up to heaven in ascension, he said, I am with you always. Keep these truths as a guard against this kind of, again, getting our minds lost in the fog of the, just this, this world that doesn't know him. Nevertheless, I am continually with you is the first one. You hold me by my right hand. You hold me. Um, the continuous our relationship isn't based on me. It's based on the Lord and his grace. You know, the idea, you know, hand in hand with the Lord, that's great, but Look, my, my confidence isn't on my, uh, on my grip on the Lord. It's my confidence isn't his grip on, my, on me. I, I have a relationship that continues on, not because I'm perfect or because my heart stays perfect. It's because his grace is perfect. And he has taken care of everything that would come between us. He has already taken it off and out of the way and judged it. And now my confidence is not in... Although I know I need to give attention to my heart and mind and be diligent about these things, still, I don't have confidence, neither should any child, confidence in your own heart and mind. I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. It's your grace, Lord, that keeps us together. You will guide me with your counsel. You know, that's a promise. The Lord wants to lead you wants to lead you and me uh, by his word, uh, the blessings of the reliability of God's word. What the Bible says, God says. And that ought to thrill you um, to know that God wants to speak clearly to us out of his word. This is how to live. 
Let me show you what wisdom is. I know you need wisdom. Let me show you how to live. We ought to be in love with God's word. Um, It ought to be keeping it before us on a daily basis. Again, it's one of those things that's going to keep us blowing out that fog that by, by with we, which we might get deceived. You will guide me with your counsel. Surely I will remember... I turned too many pages there. And afterward, receive me to glory. Afterward, receive me to glory. Uh, the, glo- the hope of heaven awaits him. The glory of heaven was a promise. It's a promise given to us. Again, he got lost in the fog of earth. We need to bring in the light of heaven to clarify the matter. Uh, live in the light of eternity. Um, look beyond here and now and the discomforts that maybe the Lord has for us to walk through right now. You know, we can trust God's love. And the reason he doesn't change the circumstance right now is because he's working out something far greater far better and if we we were to to get it solved immediately that greater thing might not happen and he wants that greater thing for us and so he's letting this moment of discomfort continue so that that excellent thing he can give that to us and ultimately the ultimate thing ultimate thing he has for us is to receive us to glory You know, um, again, live in the light of eternity. When we get to heaven and we are there with him, we will not regret staying the course with him. We will not regret allowing him to work his perfect will through our lives because we will see so much clearer then, won't we? And when we get there, we'll say, Oh, yes, Lord, you were doing this, and I couldn't see it, and now I understand. I don't want to get to heaven and, and have the kind of regret that says, I wish I would have let the Lord have his way here and here and here. You know, I, I don't want to have the Lord say, you know what, I know you did a lot of good things and stuff, but here's what could have been. Oh, I, you know, I want to avoid that. I want to live in light of the Lord being glorified to the max, <laughs> to borrow my old 80s colloquialisms. Um, now, afterward, receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. Well, that's very different from how he started off, right? He was so envious of others you know, we have, we have a living relationship with Jesus. There might be, uh, you know, reputations and comfort and convenience that we lose out here. But we have a living relationship with God that is so much greater. Um, there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Uh, you know who, who I think would be able to echo this and agree with this very strongly? My flesh and my heart fail. Our good friend Peter. Remember Peter um, went into 
um, the last night of of Jesus's ministry and betrayed Jesus, and, and you know, and it was just, just exactly the opposite of what he said he would do. <laughs> he said, you know, Jesus said, Peter, there's going to come a time when when before the the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And Peter's, you know, very adamantly, very sincerely. There is no way I'm going to deny you, Lord. He was totally sincere about that. Because Peter was totally confident in his own affections for the Lord. But he had to be broken there. And uh, he had to see that his own heart and his own flesh would fail him. And uh, when you go to First uh, Peter chapter 4, he says it now this way. talks this way about um, being confident in the Lord. He says, We're kept, we, we have an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. And he talks about all of us. He says, You are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. We're not confident, again, in our hearts and in our flesh. We're confident in the power of God. He will keep us. He wants to keep you. It's his delight to keep you. He knows you and I are weak, weak, weak. He knows it. We need to come to terms with it. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. Um, there are very, you know, very serious consequences towards living a life apart from obedience to the Lord. Those who are far from you shall perish. Um, again, living in the light of eternity gives us a great concern for the lost. Not only those who are lost, but you have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. Those who backslide, those who walk away. We need to be very concerned for them, too. Um, You have destroyed those who who desert you for harlotry. You know, God tells us uh, that sin is bad. And sin is bad not because God tells us it's bad, even though that is enough. Sin is bad. Uh, He tells us that to stay away from sin because sin is bad, it destroys. It is destructive. It will harm us. It will kill. Like the enemy, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Sin will do that to us. And the Lord wants us to keep, to keep far away from that. Indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Um, look, God wants to strengthen us inwardly, in godliness and wisdom. Um, all of us need to be. Um, it's good for me to draw near to God. How different is that from verse 13 and 14 when he thought, I'm wasting my time. I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. Now he's saying, it's good for me to draw near to God. It's good for me to do those things. I need to do those things the things that he was said he was doing. Uh, all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. I kept my place, 
kept myself in a place of being open before the Lord, of, you know, you get up in the morning and you got to learn to tell yourself no. Just kind of look in the mirror and go, no. <clears throat> That's hard. Because um, your old flesh nature, left to itself, will go in the wrong direction. We have to get up and put our hearts and minds in spiritual things. Seek the Lord in his word. It's, it's hard work. Uh, that's old-fashioned sanctification, right? Um, and and it's, it is, like I'm saying over and over again, it's hard work. Um, but we need to, need to do that. We find the motivation to do that in light of eternity, keeping our eyes on the end game. Look where I'm going. Look at the difference in the end. Um, draw near to God and he will draw near to you is the promise out of James. You draw near to God, and the promise is he will draw near to you. Um, Put my trust in God. I have put my trust in the Lord God. Um, You know, Proverbs 4, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's very simple. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That I may declare all your works. Um, What works are you declaring by doing that? By doing these things, by maintaining your walk with the Lord, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit, loving his word, chastening your hearts every morning to be in the spirit, to, to, to deny the flesh. What works are you declaring? You're declaring that Jesus died on the cross for sin, that heaven is real, that hell is real. That there is an, ever, an eternal destiny to be weighed out. Um, Declare your works um, that Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection paid for a real sin debt. And that that free gift of salvation is available to everybody. We're nothing special, right? We receive the free gift of grace. It's available to everybody. Your life proclaims that when you do that. And the people around you who maybe even be closest to you, who know where you came from, that you start talking about Jesus and live in that way, sometimes they have the hardest problem with that kind of a witness because they know you. Oh, now you think you're all holy. I know where you've been. I know what you did. Now you think you're all righteous and stuff. That's them telling you you're being a witness. <laughs> they don't like it. So be comforted in that. Look, you may not be able to argue against what they say. Yeah, I did that. I'm not claiming to be perfect. I'm claiming to be forgiven. And that witness that you are holding yourself in because you're chasing your heart every morning, you're drawing near to God, you're proclaiming Jesus' death and resurrection, um, that's a witness to them, and it is convicting. So be encouraged. Um, And continue to do these things. Um, as we get to the end of Psalm 73 here, again, the four things that's going to protect us from this kind of fog back there. Uh, I am continually with you. You hold me by your right hand, by my right hand. Guide me with your counsel and receive me to glory. Those four things are going to go a long ways towards shielding us from that fog of being deceived in this world. Let's finish there. Let's stand and we'll pray as the worship team comes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, we ask for your help in being open and honest before you. Help our hearts and minds, Lord, day by day. Help us to be a witness 
Help us to follow you. We pray for those who don't know you, Lord. We pray for those who have gone astray. Lord, you're bringing them to our hearts and minds even now, Lord. We pray for them. We pray for an opportunity to speak to them. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we pray in your name. Amen.